Yeah, welcome back. This is the Passball Show on the MTR Radio Network, ready for hour two of the program. Lots of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. Listen, I'm finished talking about the whole steroids thing. I just think that, in my opinion, there's too much stuff going on with that where if, if you don't know something, you can't just assume that somebody's guilty. And, you know, to suggest that, you know, suggest to put, you know, somebody in jail, I think is ridiculous. So, uh, you know, that's where I stand with that. But lots of things going on. Right now we're going to reach out to uh, former Major League pitcher Pat Mahomes, who, uh, you know, spoke to a little while ago, is going to be joining the show right here on the MTR Radio oh. Network. Is this Pat? Hey, what's going on, man? John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yes, sir. Hey, listen, man, first of all, uh, what are you up to nowadays, man? You know, uh, your professional playing career has been, you know, a, a little bit past you. What are you uh, What are you up to nowadays? Uh, right now I have uh, two boys, uh, one that's a junior in high school that's, you know, very uh, highly recruited athlete, and I have my other son that's in seventh grade, so... Basically spending much of my time running behind them, going to their ball games, and uh, uh, giving pitching lessons over at a pitching academy that uh, that I work out here locally. Now that's pretty cool, man. Now, so you started out, you know, in the Minnesota Twins organization. You were brought in as a starter. Tell us a little bit about the beginning. You know, you first coming in in the majors. Um, you know how how you ended up faring, and how how did you feel your outlook was when you came up with the Minnesota Twins at age 21. Well, well, I came up, you know, as a very highly college uh, prospect, and um, it started off well. You know, I won my first three games in the big leagues, and then um, the league started uh, kind of making adjustments, you know, to what I what I did, and me being young and not really uh, having a lot of pitching experience underneath me, you know, making it up to the big leagues so quick, I didn't know how to make an adjustment. So, it, you know, it took me a little while to, to learn exactly how to pitch instead of uh, just throwing the baseball. Yeah, no question, man. Now, you know, you end up with Boston for a little bit, you know, in and out of the minors. And you really started to kind of be seen a little bit when you joined the New York Mets teams of 1999 and 2000. And I remember those teams pretty well. I'm sure, you know, you, you remember, you know, being, you know as, as far as your integral part on those teams. Did, did you feel like you were part of anything special playing for those teams? You know, the 99 team, you know, ends up, you know, getting into the NLCS. The 2000 team, of course, plays in the World Series against the Yankees. Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt that was a, a very special time and, and the best time of, of my career, you know, being a, a part of a, a team that had uh, so many uh, great ball players on there and, and uh, to be an integral and key part of the, uh, the bullpen there. I mean, it, it was amazing. The runs we had, um, everybody remembers 99 having to win the last three games to get in, then win a playoff game a play-in game to get into the playoffs and almost, you know, coming back from 3-0 against the Braves, who had pretty much uh, beaten up on us all year. I mean, it was very special. And, of course, the 2000 year, you know, making it to the World Series is, you know, is uh, the highlight of, of any professional athlete's uh, career, especially, you know, a baseball player. And, you know, I had to go to Japan for a couple of years before I got back to the Mets, and I really learned how to pitch when I was over there. You know, did a lot of soul searching and decided that, you know, either I was going to make the adjustments or, you know, I wasn't going to be around much longer. Now, now listen, that takes us to something very interesting. Did you notice Did you notice anything different as far as the way, let's say, like Japanese coaches and pitchers and stuff like that kind of train? Did you think that there was anything that you grabbed out of that that kind of motivated you or maybe, uh, you know, added to your skill level to make you be a better profession, uh, pitcher on a professional level? Uh, well, it was definitely night and day. I mean, uh the Japanese way is is 
you know, is, you know, they throw all the time, you know, bullpens every day, you know, having a chance to pitch every day. I mean, I mean, you see a lot of stuff, but the way that they went about getting hitters out, you know, over there, it's not, not just, you know, the guys throw hard, go, uh, ran back and throwing the ball as hard as they can, throwing the ball by people. I mean, you have to really pitch because Japanese hitters are more contact hitters. So it did change the way I looked at pitching, you know, made me uh, start uh, mixing my pitches up a little bit more. Uh, but I think the main reason what happened was, you know, I went over there on the kind of bitter terms after leaving Boston because I didn't want to pitch in long relief. And I decided that, you know, when I was over there, you know, that if I ever got a chance to get back, whatever role they put me in, you know, I was going to cherish it and, and do the best I could with it. And I just so happened to get lucky and get Bobby Valentine, who who had a lot of trust in me, and he put me out there in several different situations, and I was able to excel, you know, in those situations a lot, doing with knowing that if you didn't excel, you were going to hear it from the Mets fans. Yeah, no, no question, man. Now, obviously, you look at Bobby Valentine as being a big influence on you. Do you uh, did do you see your career ending up, you know, having the success over those couple of years? Did you think that may not have been possible if it wasn't for Bobby Valentine? Uh, he had a lot to do with it. I mean, it's it's always for a pitcher. It's always uh, very refreshing when you know that your manager has your back. That you know that he's going to put you out there and that he trusts you to get the job done instead of it being your turn to pitch and, and you just go out there and they hope for the best that you can give them. But uh, with Bobby, you know, I always felt like that he put me out there for a reason every time he put me out there. And and in my eyes, my job was to, you know, not let him down and not let the team down. And no question. Once again, this is John Piel. I'm here with former Major League pitcher Pat Mahomes. Now, Pat, do you feel like you uh, you your professional career ended a little sooner than it wanted to? I mean, you know, your last your last appearance in the major leagues was 2003. I know you pitched for a while after that. Do you feel like you uh, do you, you you could have uh, stuck around for a couple more years in the majors? Oh, definitely. I mean, I still feel like I can pitch there now. Uh, nice. Um, you know, my last uh, my last hurrah, uh, whatever you want to say, was with the Pirates, and uh, I pitched two innings. I pitched two innings on um, a Saturday, and and then give up any runs, and then the next day I got to the field that D'Amico was supposed to be pitching, and he had got six, so I had the spot start. I threw five no-hit innings when he asked me to throw three, and then the sixth inning I gave up two runs, which I ended up uh, winning that ball game, and uh, they needed to send me down, you know, so they could get some more pitching in the next day, and I was told I would be back in three days, but, I, you know, I never ever got a chance to get back. I, I don't know what happened, but, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I played 12 seasons in the major leagues, uh, still work out with some of the guys that are currently in the major leagues and you never know i might go out there and, and give it a shot again all right now as you were pitching was there was there ever a hitter that totally scared you when he came up to the plate was there anybody that you really you know you felt like that you could give everything you got but this guy's got your number was there anybody like that or you felt like you could never, get anybody there was, there was never a guy that that actually scared me okay. uh, a guy that pretty much owned me every time i pitched against him was will clark uh um, nice. It seemed like whatever I threw up there to him, you know, it looked like a beach ball to him, and he hammered it. Uh, another tough hitter was Edgar Martinez, who was with the Mariners. Uh, it seemed like he always put a good at bat on me. And, of course, Pujols, you know. I mean, you just kind of throw it up there in hopes he gets himself out sometimes. Yeah, some, some, of the, some of the hitters, man, they just locked in. They could hit. They, they hit your best pitch no matter how good it is, man. Listen, Pat, I want to thank you for having some time today, man. I really appreciate you being part of the show. 
Hopefully I can speak to you sometime in the near future, and best of luck in everything you're doing now. Thank you. Ain't no problem, man. And that's uh, Pat Mahomes, longtime Major League pitcher. Of course, I remember him very well pitching for the Mets in the 99 and 2000s team. He was, he was kind of one of those uh, swing men. You know, and I remember, and I'll tell this story because I, I always I just always find it interesting. I remember having a day where I was out, you know, one night drinking a little too much. Didn't really feel so good the next day when I woke up and went to work. Ended up leaving work early that day. And I snuck over to my girlfriend's house after I, you know, went home sick and put the Mets game on. And it was Pat Mahomes pitching in a spot start. I believe it was against the Los Angeles Dodgers. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't make, you know, he didn't make that many starts. I believe for the Mets that season, he pitched. Yeah, he made five starts. I believe that was his first start of the season. And he went out there and threw like five, six shutout innings. And, and you know, it was, it was one of the, one of those weird days that you remember, you know, what you were doing at that moment. And, you know, Pat Mahomes, very good career in the major leagues. You know, he pitched 11 years. You know, made you know 63 starts. Had his best time as a reliever. Pitched in the postseason in 2000. I'm sorry, 1999 with the New York Mets. And listen, another guy that you know you certainly uh, you know you certainly remember his impact in the major leagues. But listen, going to take a real quick break. Um, working on something else right here, but a lot of things going on. Past ball show. We're going to finish up right till about seven o'clock today. So I'll be back with a little bit more after this. Yeah, welcome back. Past Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Lots of things going on. And 
you know, thank you guys for tuning in today. Definitely want to get over, um, want to go over a lot more things, but we're going to put that on hold right now. We're going to try to reach into uh, Boston Red Sox pitcher Ruby De La Rosa, and uh, you know, we'll see if we could get him on for a little bit. And then uh, Sweeney Murray coming at six thirty, so it's definitely stay tuned in. Yes, sir. Ruby, how you doing, buddy? It's John Pielli, Pass Ball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Good, how are you? Uh, pretty good, man. Hey, listen, man, uh, how's, uh, first of all, how's your, how's, how's your uh, shoulder doing? My shoulder is doing great. I'm doing unbelievable. So you, you're, getting, you're taking a couple steps. Do you think you'll be able to uh, – are, are you back on the mound right now? Yeah, I'm back on the mound right now. So. Okay, so you're, you're, expect, you're expecting a full recovery, right? Yeah. All right, man. So, uh, you know, how do you feel? Uh, you know, obviously you got hurt, you know, when you were pitching with the Dodgers. You come out of this pitching for the Boston Red Sox. Tell us a little bit about how you feel about being traded and pitching for Boston. So, you know, that's happened sometimes. You know, that's part of the, the baseball stuff. I feel very good So for the trade, for everything. And so, and then to see the you turn it to the Boston because Boston need me, so I want to do the best I can do to help the team go to the championship. Yeah, no question, man. So you you expect to you expect to be part of the rotation this year? Start to start in the majors? No, I don't know idea actually. So I'm working now, so it's a little hard to tell you right now. So I want to be part of it to the that rotation this year or not? Yeah, no so, question. So listen, man. You started over out. You know, you're a high, um, you know, amateur free agent with the Dodgers. Uh, I believe 2007. Have uh, that you feel like you've made the strides right now to be an impact major league pitcher? Yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling very confident in that. So I'm, I'm 100% sure I can can do it. And no question, man. Actually, I've seen you pitch. You know, you pitch a game against the Mets a couple of years ago that. You know, you, you really dominated that game. Uh, tell us a little bit about what, what, what your makeup is, your fastball, what other pitches you throw and stuff like that. So I'm doing a third pitch is the fastball. So my second pitch is the singer. So my third pitch is the slider. And my four pitches in the, the two scene. That's called, like, sinker. So I'm very, very comfortable in that pitches. I'm working every day and for making great. Every single day, that picture, every pictures told me true. Now, listen. You expect um, let's, you expect big things for the Red Sox this year. How do you feel about the the moves they've made in the off season to improve themselves? It's really good. So I'm taking everything they need me to do. So I'm taking. That's my job. And so I want to tell you before that happened. So. Today, I mean, all this playing, all this playing, all that thing, and so have to do it. Yeah, no question, man. Listen, Ruby, I want to thank you for having some time today. I appreciate you being part of the show. Uh, best of luck this season in Boston, and I uh, hope to have you on the show sometime in the near future. Okay, thank you very much. Yep, take care. And that was Ruby De La Rosa. Ruby, of course, is with the Boston Red Sox organization. Was part of that big deal with the uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers that – you know, Dodgers got Carl Crawford and Adrian Gonzalez and Josh Beckett, and you know it ends up being a uh, a deal where Ruby De La Rosa, who was a highly touted prospect, 
from the Los Angeles Dodgers organization gets to make his mark in Boston now. And, you know, he's coming off of a shoulder injury. He missed the end of last season. Um, along with Carl Crawford, two players that were traded in that deal were both injured at the time. So, you know, while the Dodgers do have to uh, concern themselves with what to expect out of a um, out, out of a Carl Crawford, I think you also have to look at Ruby De La Rosa as important of a part of this deal as he was. And he really was one of the top guys that was sent over in this trade uh, between the two teams. Uh, you look at guys like uh, Ivan De Jesus, James Loney's no longer with the Red Sox. He's on the Tampa Bay. Uh, Jerry Sands, who was a very well-known outfield prospect, they all they they're they're pretty much the cream of this trade. And I think if the Boston Red Sox want to uh, call this a success, it's not just about unloading the payroll. Because number one, the way they've reallocated the dollars is something that has to be looked at. You know, ha- have they made the right moves? to uh, offset the payroll that they gave up in a trade with the Dodgers. And I don't think we'll know. You know, the Dodgers got the better players at right now. When we talk about what Josh Beckett still has to give to, the, to bring to the table, whatever Carl Crawford can do, Adrian Gonzalez certainly was the best player in that entire trade. And that all being said, I think you have to look at what a guy like Ruby De La Rosa will bring to the table. And listen, I hope, I hope it ends up working out. But, you know, moving on. Um, within the next couple weeks, I'm going to start putting together my 30 to one MLB countdown, and what that is is a preview of all the of all the major league teams one by one in inverse order in which I predict they'll finish in the entire league. And of course, with that, we'll break down divisions who will finish first to last or last to first in each division as we move forward. So you know, last year I, I listen, I, I took some heat, but I went out there. I went out on a limb. I I, I really. I didn't go with the grain. And, you know, Major League Baseball, you really can't go with the grain. I mean, that's the easy thing to do. Am I going to rank what teams are the best to what teams are the worst? I don't think I'm doing anybody justice by that. That's for baseball prospectus. That's for, you know, all teams, everybody that's going to go with the entire, you know, with with the entire whatever the best teams are, they're going to finish first, and the worst teams are going to finish last. You know, if that's so true, then how do you explain the Oakland Athletics and the Baltimore Orioles, and even the Washington Nationals to some extent. Because you look at the Nationals right now and you say that they are so can't miss. They're so hit, so number one, so going to do it, get the job done, win the whole thing, win the National League, the NL East, the whole World Series. It wasn't expected to be so easy last year. And they went out there and they won 98 games. The Philadelphia Phillies were supposed to have another year left in them. And it ended up not working out. You know, you can't predict based on what teams you think are the most stacked against the teams that you think are going to be the worst. And listen, I'll be the first to say, I predicted the Oakland Athletics were going to be the worst team in Major League Baseball. And you know what? If, if, if you feel that way, just turn off the dial. I'm, I'm a man enough to admit that I was wrong with that. And you, and you say, hey, even worse than the Houston Astros, I just didn't see anything that was going to show me that there was good enough players on his team two things ended up leading to that team being much better than we all thought number one was the Andrew Bailey trade which they actually came out out on top of they got Josh Reddick who was the better player the Boston Red Sox didn't think so but Josh Reddick ran out there for a full season was an all-star solidified the middle of the order and certainly 
performed above expectations in the Oakland Athletics uniform. Yonanis Cespedes, who was a guy who was brought over towards the end of the offseason, signs that four-year deal. I think there was just a lot of questions. We just didn't know what to expect. Of course he's a power hitter. Of course he's a guy that is very well touted out of Cuba and was supposed to be a, a star. We don't know that for sure. We wouldn't have expected the immediate impact that he had. And, of course, the third thing was the young pitching, which came through big time for, for the Oakland Athletics. And if you're a New York Mets fan, maybe you pray that there's something similar that happens with the young arms that the New York Mets have. Because there were no house, household names for the Oakland Athletics pitching staff. There were some prospects that were good. You know, Jared Parker was a good prospect. Uh, Ryan Cook who they got in a Washington trade for Gio Gonzalez, was considered a good prospect. But I don't think you could anticipate them being slotted in and having the success that they ended up having. I think it was a little hard to predict. And just like with last year, I'm going to have my duds, just like anybody else that's trying to predict the six division winners and the two wild card winners in each league. You're not going to get them all right. You're going to be high on a team that you think is going to make the playoffs, and they're going to end up tanking it this year. There's going to be some good teams that are going to go through tremendous turmoil this year. And we just don't know who those teams are. Every year, it happens. The Boston Red Sox, who, listen, everybody got down on them after their September collapse in 2011. But I don't think anybody anticipated the team was going to lose 93 games this year. So what I'm going to do, and like I did last year, we got in with the over-unders. One of the things that I love to do, uh, we'll play around with the over-unders. I think I ended up going something like uh, like 18 and 12 in over-unders, you know, just straight over-unders last year. So we're looking to beat that this year. And we'll start out with team number 30 when I profile. And what I do is I profile each team. I bring up the strengths, the weaknesses, you know, what they ended up doing this past off season, what, to, what you could expect. And it's something good you can follow. You can follow either on johnpielli.com, and, of course, the post will be uh, readily available on mtrmedia.com. I'll get them up there every day, and you read, and you comment, and you give me your opinion. Because that's what it's about. It's about talk. We, we go back and forth. I tell you that this team stinks. You tell me why they're good. You know, I tell you the Mets are going to lose 95 games this year. You tell me why they won't. And in the end, we'll see what ends up happening. You know, it's not that easy to predict. It's not that easy to call. You can't go out there and just say, yes, this is the way things are going to be. Because, you know, it never turns out that way. What about the Arizona Diamondbacks of 2011? Who had them in the playoffs? Uh, not, many, not many people, if anybody. But people were so quick to put them back in the playoffs for 2012. And I'm sure a team, I'm sure, if, you know, people, you know, analysts, writers, uh, baseball experts, non-baseball experts, baseball fans are all going to do the same thing. They're all going to take the 10 teams that were in the postseason last year and assume that they're going to get right back. And any team that didn't chance this year yada 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 that's the way it's gonna go but from year to year there is no set it's not gonna be the same every year and that's one thing that 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 i got i get into and yeah i'll take the bigger chance you know when i went out there and said that the texas rangers weren't making the playoffs this past season let's be honest they ended up coming close not to not making it you know they were only a game or two ahead of the angels they ended up playing in the wild card playoff playing game which a lot of people just predict, predicted that they'd run away with that division. It would be them and the Angels, and that's it. And I had I had the Rangers falling a little short. And in the end, I turned out to not be that far off. But while I made my good predictions, I made my bad predictions. You know, I, I, had, I had faith in the Miami Marlins. 
and maybe I may or may not have similar faith in what I see out of the Toronto Blue Jays this year. And those are things that you know have to be looked at, and those are things that have to be you know listen. You have to let the games play out, and it's like it's like the lottery. Let's be honest. You know you can't go out there and you, you know who who's gonna who's gonna even get the World Series right this year. You know when I predict what teams I think will be in the World Series, what's to say it's gonna turn out that way? What's to see say either one of those teams are even gonna make the playoffs? And that's what that's what that's what's great about this. That's what we all. You know, we bring the discussion in, we go back and forth, we talk a little here, a little there, and and we get into it. So that's something I'm, I'm pretty excited about starting up. Like I said, you check out johnpielli.com, mtrmedia.com, slash johnpielli, and you can get right on there. And everything that I'm writing, that I'm recording, that I'm doing, all my interviews from today will be up. You know, we'll have the, the Mateus Walton interview, Pat Mahomes, Ruby De La Rosa, and then we'll, we'll get that all up today, and we'll see how that ends up turning out but you know on to some more stuff because you know we talked about move on before and I make a case that he's a little bit better of a player than he got credit for certainly takes the heat for his lack of performance with the New York Mets I think he was the root of the problem that ended up uh, getting uh, Terry Collins to walk out and quit when he was the manager of the uh, Anaheim Angels but you know, talking about managers now in Major League Baseball, and let's be honest, you look at what's happened over the last couple of years, and you know this past you know season with Tony Larusa retiring, and Bobby Cox and Joe Torre and Cito Gaston before that. Really, managers with a pedigree, managers with a proven record of success, are not so existent in Major League Baseball right now. In fact, and we're going to put that on hold. We're going to welcome in WFAN correspondent for the New York Yankees. Sweeney Murdy. Sweeney, John Pialli, Pass Ball Show on TR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. You got it. Hey, first of all, man, appreciate you, you know, having some time, man. Hope everything, you know, turns out good for your Valentine's Day. Yeah, no problem. Alone in Tampa, that's my Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, first of all, let's get a little outlook about how things are going down there in Tampa. Anything uh, news breaking in the, in the world in the New York Yankees? Oh, just another day. Uh, you know, the first couple of days when uh, when everybody arrives, that's, uh, that's when all the news happens. But uh, today's fairly uneventful day in Yankee land, so uh, you know you get on with the business of trying to figure out who's going to make the team, fifth starter, things like that. And uh, you know, not many positional battles. The fifth starter is one, and Yvonne Nova and David Phelps uh, will be battling for that spot. Yeah, no question about it. Now. You know, let's start out with with uh, you know apparently some of the positives. Apparently, Mariano's been throwing. He's he's looking pretty good. Looks like he's ready to go. Yeah, he's gotten on and out a couple of times. I mean, I don't know about ready to go. I mean, it's you know it's it's been it's been a long time since he's been on a major league mound. By the time he gets to you know to pitching a real game in April, it'll be eleven months. Uh, that's a pretty long layoff. So uh, keep your fingers crossed that Mariano, being the exceptional athlete that he is, and and being the greatest of all time, that, that he finds his way back into form, uh, or at least some semblance of his form, and that uh, the Yankees, uh, you know, obviously benefit if he, he, he was able to do that. Um, I guess because of the body of work that Rivera's put together, you don't want to doubt him, but it's it's really just going to be waiting to see. Once you finally see it, you really you're not going to know until that happens because uh, it is a you know it is a significant injury. To a player who is uh, at an advanced age for for his his sport, 
comes back, and it'll be a long time before we can actually say yes, Mariano Rivera is back. Yeah, and also he hasn't had a he hasn't had a deal with an, an injury this serious before. So you know the rehab. You know, obviously, I, I you know I think we all look at him as a you know as a guy that you know gives everything he's got when it comes to training and preparation and rehabbing. So you know if you know whatever the highest ceiling of what he's going to be able to do, I think it's fair enough to say that you know you could expect something out of Mariano Rivera this season. Yeah, and, and it's funny. Like I look at. I, you know, him and Jeter are obviously in the same boat here with a couple of devastating injuries, but I look at Jeter a little bit differently because Jeter got hurt in October during the playoffs, and he's he's on schedule to come back opening day. He's missed the time he's missed of the injury is just a normal off-season length of time. Obviously, the amount of the way he spent that time is a lot different than rehabbing from a severe injury rather than just resting from a long season, but. He hasn't missed game time the way Mariano Rivera has. Rivera has missed almost an entire season's worth of games, and to me, that's a that's a significant difference. I think uh, because you're talking about just the length. You know, both guys coming off big injuries. You're talking about actual time missed. Rivera's is much greater than Jeter's. Yeah, no question about it. And I'll tell you, on on the Jeter a little bit. Now, I, I think obviously fans should have a little bit of a concern, you know, the significance of the ankle injury that he suffered, you know, in the playoffs last season. Um, how, how's things going with Jeter? Does this look like a situation where he should be ready for opening day? Yeah, he's doing everything on schedule. You know, he's been uh, working out uh, here with uh, uh, position players at the minor league complex because they're, they're not uh, position players don't report technically uh, for another couple of days. Uh, but he's been able to do everything he needs to be doing at this stage. He's started running already, uh, which is a good sign. And you know, it's going to be a slow ramp up during spring training. Uh, but you know, the goal isn't to have him ready to go on February 23rd for the first exhibition game. He's got until April 1st for the first regular season game. And listen, even if worst case, if he if he's off by a week, I mean, is it really going to matter to you if if Derek Jeter doesn't play until? second week of the season the goal is to get him in over a hundred and something games so um you know april 1st would be nice but you know they'll obviously just take it slow and see how he comes along yeah absolutely yeah. agree with that i think it's a situation where you know fans you know can't they, they can't you know expect you know if he's if he's not ready opening day it's not the end of the world but when it comes to the yankees are they prepared prepared if uh, let's say Derek Jeter ends up missing the first couple months of the season, God forbid? Well, um, probably not. No, and, and I think that you know they're basing all that based off of, listen, if they thought those, if, if the report they got in October said that he wasn't going to be back until July, well, then they would have prepared themselves a little bit differently. You know, look at what happened with Alex Rodriguez. You know, They knew that he wasn't going to be available to them for the first half of the season. So they, and maybe the whole season. So they went and flattened their uh, third bases. Um, everything the Yankees are told is that their shortstop is coming back in April. So they prepared themselves with their normal backups, which were at this point of Jason Nix and Eduardo Nunez. Uh, if there is a setback, well, they didn't need to address that perhaps. But at this point, there's no reason to think that they need to. 
No, no question. An excellent point, man, comparing, you know, that to this question because I think this uh, this this kind of puts it all in perspective. Do you think it's more of a uh, the competition in the American League East? Let's say like teams like Toronto getting better, Boston uh, kind of you know readjusting what they're doing, and you know the younger teams in Tampa and Baltimore. Um, is it is it more of the competition in the American League East or the fact that maybe the Yankees haven't gone out there and you know addressed needs in a way that they've done? In previous seasons, what do you think? What do you think is the biggest issue why people are a little more down on the Yankees this year as opposed to other years? Yeah, I think there's probably a little bit of both. I think, I think, I think, you know, I've been doing this for this is my 13th season covering the team, and, and over the last say, I don't know, six, seven years or so, there's always been long and and boy, it's. You know, even, even you know, I, if I if I take out 2009 because they made free agent splashes with Sabathia and Teixeira and Andrew Burnett and turn around a team that they missed the playoffs the year before, but you know, even every other year after that, it seems you know there's always this other shoe's going to drop mentality. Um, 
and it seems to be. I, I really, I really hate this impression that some fans give that if you haven't virtually secured a World Series berth by the first day of spring training, well, then the Yankees are in trouble and they're no good. Well, I mean, a season has a, a right to play out, um, and there are plenty of teams that you go into spring. Just look at last year. You started spring training. Do you think that Oakland and Baltimore would be where they were at the end of the season? Yeah, great Not point. I brought that up before. Yeah, is it, I no. mean, there's no question. And expectations are different. I understand that. But it doesn't mean that just because you don't look at the Yankees as a 100-win juggernaut on February 14th doesn't mean, doesn't mean that they stink and are going to lose 100 games. Um, I, I just think that's a, that's a mentality that you know has gotten away from you know, what, what the real what the realistic approach of a baseball season should be about. You know, I do understand that other teams got better, but I in this division, as you pointed out, but I I can poke holes in the Yankees and what their shortcomings are, but I can also point out shortcomings of every other team in this division. And the Red Sox had nowhere to go but up, and uh, improving off of the last place team. The uh, the Blue Jays have made a lot of improvements. But they also have not won 90 games in 20 years. Uh, Very good point. It's a big jump to make to say from winning the offseason to winning the regular season. Uh, And and they know that, too. If you look at Tampa Bay, they're in it every year, but they've they've lost some key pieces from last year's team. And they're kind of in the same boat as the Yankees. I think that they, they didn't make dramatic improvements off of their team from last season. They're hoping that they can you know, piece it together again and get back to you know, where they were last season. Um, and if you look at uh, Baltimore, I'll say they, they had everything go right for them last year and still weren't as good as the Yankees. Uh, the hardest thing in this game to duplicate one year to the next is bullpen success. Sure, and sure. the Orioles' bullpen success was maybe the biggest reason that they had the season they did last year. Uh, that plus a little bit of good fortune when you consider all the extra inning games that they won uh, after losing a couple to the Yankees in April, they didn't lose again in extra innings. A lot of that's bullpen success, a lot of that's good fortune. Those two things have to go your way again just to get back to where you were. Add to that the fact that Buck Showalter does not have a history of taking the team to the next next level. He gets them from bad to good or mediocre to good. He doesn't take them from good to great. And that's another challenge that he's going to have to overcome as well. So I've got I've got slings and arrows for every other team in this division, including the Yankees. So that's why we want to see the season play out. Yeah, and, and that's what makes it all interesting because right now, I mean, I've talked about it all the time, how you know, the beginning, you know, the beginning of February into March and before the season starts, every team's got a chance. You know, even the teams that look terrible. I mean, teams, you know, like the Miami yeah. Marlins, the New York Mets, the Houston Astros, teams that may not be considered legitimate playoff teams, fans could kind of sit on their couch and say, listen, anything's possible. Of course. And if you look at the, uh, the World Series last year, remember, the Giants needed to come back to defeat the Cardinals in the NLCS. If the Cardinals had managed to hang on and, and, and win the pennant and face the Tigers in the World Series, there would have been 10 teams in baseball that looked at the Cardinals playing the Tigers and said, we have better records than they do. 
10, a third of the sport would have had finished with better records than the two teams that would have actually been playing the World Series. Again, had the Cardinals moved on. As it, as it were, there's still plenty of teams that had better records than the Tigers did. So uh, I think it's you know, it's just not that easy. If you're looking from a Yankee-centric point of view, um, which I understand why Yankee fans do, but it's just not as easy to win as it used to be. Other, the collective bargaining agreement, uh, free agency, everything has, has been driven to help other teams win and get better and be competitive. And this is not the old world George Steinbrenner came to dominate uh, in years past. This is a different landscape, and it's just not as easy to, to win. You know, the Yankees keep doing what they are built to do, win more games than other teams. And once you get to the postseason, you're on more even footing. Uh, there isn't as big a gap as maybe there was. And, and some of the good fortune doesn't go their way. So, it's listen, there's a reason teams all win three World, Ser- you know, uh, three World Series in a row all the time. It's really, really hard to do. No, no, very good point, man. And I'll tell you, the way – you know, the way things look is obviously not, you know, nineteen sixty eight anymore where the team with the best record yeah. automatically plays yeah. in the World Series. So you know, obviously well, I'll tell you what it is, John, I've taken this point of view since really since the Yankees got knocked out in the last uh, in last year's playoffs. I kinda of came to this realization. And it's not meant to be an excuse or anything. You can take it like that if you want, but I think it's a realistic point of view and I'll share it with you. I think that the baseball playoffs have, have have now been turned into a sort of NCAA tournament. And it's it's just hard to maneuver the tournament and get to the end and, and, and win it. And, and there's not a lot of separation between the top team and the bottom team in the playoffs in baseball. Um, there, there is a great deal of separation between the top team in, in, in basketball and in hockey, although hockey's got a little bit of a wild curve with a hot goaltender type of thing. But... Um, if you look at baseball, I look at it now as the NCAA tournament. And the Yankees right, are sure. Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky. They are the one seed. They're the team that gets the one seed every year. Do they win it every year? Of course not. But you know, nobody tells Mike Krzyzewski that he stinks and he's going to be fired because they're going to win the NCAA tournament every year. <laughs> guy wins 25 games, gets a one seed, gets knocked out in the Sweet 16. Hey, Mike, congratulations. You're going to the Hall of Fame. Ah, very true, man. Now, listen. As far as as far as the rest of baseball, is there is there any other team that you see that could really go out there and surprise that maybe somebody else isn't really expecting this year? Uh, you know, I I haven't given it a whole lot of thought yet, but I think we're still waiting for the Angels to make that move, especially with the addition of Hamilton now. But I still think they're a little suspect. Um, you know. I'm curious to see what direction Texas is going to go because they were right there. Obviously, the two American League pennants, they were, they were so close to beating the Cardinals in the World Series two years ago. And last year, they were victims of a, you know, almost like a, a 2011 Red Sox-like collapse at the end. Very and, true. And, and, and you wonder if they're going to be able to, to hold on to, to the type of team that they are or fall completely backwards again. Um, I think a lot of people want to say that teams like the Royals and the Indians make big moves. Uh, the Indians have made a lot of uh, big spending lately, uh, some late free agent additions that uh, you know, maybe they make a run at the Tigers in the Central. 
um, but it's still a big jump from where they were to uh, you know to dethroning uh, the American League champion. So, not quite sure I'm ready to put that label on them just yet. No, I, I agree, man. Now, once again, it's John Pielham here with Sweeney Murdy. Last question. Uh, out of the other four teams in the uh, the American League East, which team poses the biggest threat to the Yankees? I would say at this point it's probably Toronto. And it, and it is the, the big addition they made in the offseason. But, uh, again, I'll tell you they have to prove it. You know, um, I think – I don't believe Baltimore is going to improve on last season. They won 93 games. I don't think they're going to do that again. I don't think Boston's making that big jump up again from 60-something wins back up to 90-plus wins. So I've knocked two teams off there already. I feel like Tampa Bay isn't quite up to the task of replacing what they lost with B.J. Upton and James Shields. And listen, a lot of things always happen to go right for Tampa Bay. Maybe this year they don't, and I don't think they're 90-plus wins. I think the Yankees have the ability to win 90 games. I think Toronto has the ability to win 90 games. Um, uh, just the one thing I keep coming back to with Toronto is we looked at the Angels last year and, and the moves they made and said they're the team to beat. We looked at the Red Sox the year before the moves they made and said they're the team to beat. Well, it didn't happen that way. Toronto still has to go out there and, and prove that their mix is the right mix. And they'll be the first ones to tell you that because they've been banging their head against the wall in the American League East against the Yankees and Red Sox for two decades now. They know that just signing the best players in the winter or making big trades isn't enough to make the other teams fall down and get out of their way. Uh, the Yankees' worst season in the wild card era, let's take full seasons because 95 was 144 games. Let's take 96 on. The Yankees' worst season is 89 wins. Toronto's best season is, what, 87 or 88 wins. You know, their best season is not as good as the Yankees' worst season in almost two decades. They have to go out there and prove it. They're the biggest threat right now. I agree. But, you know, 162 games will tell you whether or not they actually are able to pull it off. Yeah, no question about it. Listen, sweetie, I want to thank you very much for having some time today. Appreciate you being part of the program. And hopefully I can speak to you again sometime in the near future, buddy. Thanks, I know we've been trying a long time. I apologize that it hasn't quite worked out very well. I'm, I'm glad it worked out today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, take care, man. Enjoy the spring. And that was, of course, Sweeney Murdy, who covers the Yankees for WFAN. You can follow Sweeney at YankeeFAN on Twitter. And, of course, he does a, he does a phenomenal job. He, he really... Uh, he, he he spends a lot of time, and and honestly, like you look at beat writers and stuff like that, and reporters, and he's probably into know into know as much as a you know if not more than a lot of the other guys that cover the Yankees. So, you know, hopefully hopefully you got your little uh, your little fix of the Yankees there. I know, uh, you know, some people do criticize PBS, you know, Passball Show, and John Pielli for not uh, you know focusing enough on the Yankees. So, uh, I'm gonna open up the phone lines, man. We got about eight minutes to go. Uh, 609-910-0687 right here on the Passball Show. We'll get you up. You know, hopefully you enjoy the program. Got a good show planned for next week. Once I uh, solidify it a little more, I'm going to let you know uh, exactly what's going on there. Boy Meets Machine in studio uh, two weeks from today, which will be the 28th. Uh, I always love when those guys are in. We kind of go a little off the cuff a little bit. We'll get into some baseball, but, you know, I think a little more entertainment there. And I do enjoy having those guys in studio. But um, as we're finishing up here, 
you know, you get into uh, you know a couple different things going on. Um, I hit up on the. Uh, I actually started to talk about it a little bit when it comes to the managers, current managers of Major League Baseball. You know, you're kind of going through a turnover. You know, we talked about all those years of having the greats, the guys with all the experience, the guys that are going to the Hall of Fame. You know, you remember uh, well when I was growing up, the guys like Whitey Herzog, Earl Weaver, Dick Williams, Sparky Anderson, all Hall of Fame managers. Uh, were you know in a prime of their career, maybe towards the end, but at least I got to see them live. And then you come across the next generation, which has guys like Tony Larusa, Bobby Cox, Joe Torre, uh, even Cito Gaston, who won multiple World Series titles. And now you're hitting to a point where you're kind of getting a new turnover, and you're wondering who's going to be the next series of Major League Baseball managers. And I and I think it's really interesting to kind of look at it this way, because you don't know. I mean, if you're going to rank the managers right now of who's the best, you know, in the game, you you probably have to base it off of World Series titles, and you'd have to go probably with Bruce Bochy of the Giants, who's won two of the last three World Series, and he has another pennant with the San Diego Padres in 1998. No, nobody else has what he has shown. Doesn't mean he's the best. You know, Jimmy Leland's got those three NL East titles with the Pittsburgh Pirates a World Series victory in 1997 with the uh, the Florida Marlins, and the two uh, World Series with the Detroit Tigers, the two appearances, the pennants that he won in 2006 and 2012. You know, maybe he's the best manager now. Uh, I, I think it was a little more concrete back then. It was a little more concrete, you know, a couple of years ago, who the great managers in the game are right now. I mean, right now it's hard, it's hard to determine that. It's hard to figure out which ones are going to be the next ones. But, you know, Terry Francona starting his third tenure, his third different team that he's managing, gets a lot of credit and deservedly so. Two World Series championships with the Boston Red Sox, 2004-2007. All you have to do to, you know, if you want to substantiate why that's great is the fact that they hadn't won since 1918. He got two World Series championships as a manager. You know, look at how many uh, very good managers managed the Boston Red Sox but couldn't win a World Series. So he goes into Cleveland. Is he automatically considered one of the best managers in Major League Baseball? Well, based on World Series wins, he is. And, and to me, I don't really agree with that. And I just think it's a lot more wide open. Charlie Manuel's won a World Series and an NL pennant. Joe Girardi has won a World Series. Talked about Leland. Mike Sosha's got a World Series. What about Davey Johnson, who's managing the Washington Nationals right now? He has a World Series title. Yeah, it was, what, 26, you know, 27 years ago with the New York Mets in 1986. But he has a World Series title. But he's also taken other teams to the playoffs. He's taken the Reds to the playoffs, the Orioles to the playoffs. You know, had a couple winning seasons with the Dodgers before, you know, he ended up leaving there. Took the Nationals, you know, to NL East title last season in his first full season in the mix. Is he one of the best managers in the game? And, and there's, a lot, there's a lot to discuss with that. How about other guys that have pennants? Really, I mean, outside of everybody else, the only other guys that I haven't mentioned that have won uh, pennants are Ron Washington, who's got the two years with the 10 and 11 with the Texas Rangers, Joe Madden, 19, uh, 2008 with the Tampa Bay Rays, Clint Hurdle, who's managing the Pirates now, you know, has a NL pennant with the Colorado Rockies of 2007, and, of course, Dusty Baker, who's got the San Francisco Giants NL pennant of 2002. Uh, to his credit. So, I mean, I just think with all the new managers, all the managers that are coming into the game with no experience, the, the lack of retreads that are out there. Let's be honest, the last couple of years, teams have gone out there and say, let's bring in a new face. Let's bring in a guy who hasn't been part of 
the retread of you know America of Major League Baseball managers, and that you know that doesn't bode well for guys that are on the outside looking in, guys who had their first opportunity and failed. A guy like Bob Brenly, who wins the World Series in his first season behind the bench with the Arizona Diamondbacks, hasn't gotten a job since he lost it in, in Arizona. I mean, typically he'd be a retread guy that would have at least gotten one more shot. You know, Terry Francona, two World Series. You know, he sits out of here, he gets a job right away in Cleveland, and we'll see how it works out with them. There's a lot a lot of different things you can look at with the Indians for what they've done this offseason. They went from a very quiet offseason to a very busy offseason. You know, really started when they made that trade of Shinsu Chu for Trevor Bauer and Drew Stubbs. You know, they kind of went got going from there. They added Mark Reynolds. They added... You know, the, the pitchers, whether it was Myers, or Brett Myers, or Daisuke Matsuzaka, they signed Nick Swisher. You know, and then, then of course, they cap it all off with the Michael Bourne signing. So you know, the Indians went from a team that could very well be rebuilding to a team that may ne- may not necessarily be rebuilding. They may be going for it. They may consider themselves a team that can make a run in 2013. And, you know, the Detroit Tigers, but listen, I think they got better. You know, they, they keep... Annabelle Sanchez, which I think was a very big victory for them. They add Torrey Hunter, which is certainly an upgrade over Delman Young and Ryan Rayburn. And they got to be considered the favorites again. But I think the Indians will give them a push. The Kansas City Royals, with what they did did with their starting rotation, they got some better pitchers than they had before. Maybe this is the year that their youth movement kind of makes a run and they become a a, a consistent presence in the American League Central. Uh, We don't know. And, and don't be so quick to rule out the White Sox either. I didn't have a lot of faith in them coming into this past season, but it was just a matter of clicking a couple buttons. Adam Dunn hitting the ball again. Jake Peavy, you know, returning to form of what he was you know, when he was winning Cy Youngs. All of a sudden, you know, you bring up Chris Sale, and he puts up the numbers that he does. And all of a sudden, they got a team going. I wouldn't rule the White Sox out either. The only team that unfortunately doesn't look like it's got enough firepower to compete this year is the Minnesota Twins. And, you know, they re- they should represent the basement in the AL Central. And, yeah, you know, I'm giving you a little forecasting of what my predictions are going to be in a 30-to-1 MLB countdown, which you're going to check out on johnpielli.com and, of course, mtrmedia.com slash johnpielli, which I'm going to start writing, putting together, get the over-unders going, everything involved in that. So, you know, really, uh, listen, right before we go, we're going to get a little bit in this, this day in baseball history, 1948 was uh, the death of uh, Three Finger Brown, Mordecai Brown, passed away at the age of 78. Of course, you know, his nickname is, is obviously because of a childhood injury. He had an accident. He lost parts of two of his fingers. was a very integral part of the Chicago Cubs, you know, when they were winning World Series in 1907 and 1908. Um, he passes away at the age of 78 in 1948. So, you know, other things going on. The Georgia Senate, and I'll tell you, this is one thing I want to get into before we cut things off here. The Georgia Senate approved a bill in 1957 prohibiting black and white baseball players, professional major league players, from playing together. And that was professional. So, you know, they didn't have a major league team at the time, but they had a couple minor league teams. But to approve a bill 10 years after Jackie Robinson, uh, you know, went over the color barrier and made it an integrated game, which it should have been all along, uh, the Georgia Senate shows how clueless and how delusional and how friggin' wacky they are. But listen, I want to thank everybody for joining in in the show. Uh, thanks to Monteus Walton. Thanks to Ruby De La Rosa, Pat Mahomes, and of course, Sweeney Murdy will definitely be on next week. Stay tuned. MTR. 
I'm sorry, Philly Baseball Beat will be joining us, followed by MTR Sports Report. So thanks a lot. Um, hope you enjoyed the show.